3: The food is probably going to be the top priority, probably just some gambling just to keep me busy. Um, I think I'm going to go to the Cosmopolitan.
2: Yeah, the the buffet at the Aria, the breakfast buffet at the Aria might get me, but I don't know that I can be anywhere where there's a casino. Is there like a monastery in Vegas? I don't think <laughs> I could do it. I think I'd last a total of 24 days if I had to live inside. It is just insufferable. <laughs> This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, we're kind of getting down to it. I mean, this is where uh, – this, this is crunch time. This is, this is six chefs. This is you can fit them around a table. This is you can't screw up. This is you can't outrun the bear much any longer or you can't run out the other guy. The bear is going to catch you. So we start in bed. Uh, yeah. Where all great meals start.
3: Yeah. Kevin, I just want to write off the bat
2: here. Are they all sleeping in the same room? Did you notice that in this episode? This is a note I have. What are they doing to these people? Why are there six rooms? Why does this look like the scene when Vincent D'Onofrio is going to get like like hazed in full metal jacket and they're all sitting there and in like in, – like why are they crowded together like that? It's a large house. What happened? I want to find this out because it's I was – disturbing.
3: This is, I, I can't I, think about – I can't – they're in a host- – They're, they're they, this uh, – this – this I cannot stand for is six grown adults sleeping on cots in the same room. It sounds like hell. And, you know, we, we've we gone through the gamut on sleep science and sleep studying and all that stuff for, for our jobs. And I have a hard enough time sleeping with someone else in the same room, much less five strangers, not five strangers, but five of my friends. I don't want to do any of that.
2: Well, to say nothing, if I want the room to be 65 degrees and if any of them have a problem with it, I'm out (laughs) right off the bat. So there's that. Yeah, it it seems like clear violation of Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual unusual punishment. Um, It gave me the willies. It was further evidence I could never be on one of these shows because that in and of itself would render me insane and I I just would act out and I don't know. Do you
3: think the lease ran out on their house that they went – they were at and they had to
2: switch venues? I don't know. I mean, it's like, is there a flooding in another room? Is it like they just want to kind of create the conditions for conflict? And this is one way to do it. It looked gross. It's just like all those people you're breathing their air at night. I don't know. I'm just, I'm with you. <laughs> like it's, it's amazing that I'm able to get up in the morning next to someone. Uh, and, and the idea of having to do it with five strangers is gross. like, also I have snoring issues. Like I'm, like I wouldn't want anyone to – I wouldn't want anyone to have to be in a room with me.
3: I'm yeah, as a, as a matter off. of – Yeah,
2: yeah. courtesy Fossing and turning. I wake up. I, I just – yeah, I'm a bad sleeper. I know you're not supposed to be a bad sleeper. I know our our friend Dr. Chris Winter who has advised the Pittsburgh Pirates and Oklahoma City Thunder and, and San Francisco 49ers says there's no such thing as a bad sleeper. So if he's listening, he would be disappointed in me. But I am a bad sleeper. Well, you know what? That could actually be a strategy. If you're loud
3: but you're sleeping soundly, then you know what? No one else is getting any damn Zs.
2: No, I'm loud and not sleeping soundly. Uh, oh, the, the, oh. This is, this is a cross-active error. So um, the other thing – so it, it was breakfast in bed. Yes. Is something I also have a problem with. I don't like food in my bedroom. I have a lot of rules. I realize that and I've, I've come to just appreciate that I'm a guy with a lot of rules. I got a lot – kind of a Larry David – like sort of complex here but but I don't want food in my bedroom I never want food in my I will never accept breakfast in bed if I'm doing room service I'm getting over there over toward the uh the table or whatever don't food in bed ah no yeah is it no. the crumbs
3: is it the yeah. is it like a smeared ketchup like what is it that um
2: that just rankles you the idea of breakfast in bed I just need my bed to be like a downy commercial you know, just like the beautiful flowing whites, the the faint smell of citrus and bleach. Like there's just something I don't want any sensory shit like it, getting into my bedroom space. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like like when you said what you just said, like like the idea that there would be a condiment on the on the on the sheets or, or a crumb just kind of gives me the willies.
3: It it just made you recoil, in it?
2: Yeah, yeah, it did. The minute you said it, it was like, ugh.
3: Like, yeah. Like, like, so of maple
2: syrup, like whatever it is. No.
3: What I don't mind is having two double beds or two queens in my hotel room and I'll reserve one as my table. Like I kind of like the idea of having one bed as like throw some clothes on it. You can eat there like whatever. It's just kind of it's kind of no. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a that bed is for sleeping and that bed is for just a mess. And so sometimes ah. I'll just slap you know, a bunch of clothes on there and lay them out so they don't get all wrinkly. And then I'll have like, you
2: know, just sit Indian style in bed and eat my, my room service. You know, I'm, I, I don't like the second bed if I'm alone because it's the broken windows theory. Then all of a sudden that bed becomes, as you say, like a desk and a me and a dining room table. And the next thing you know, it's a bed with, it, 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 it enables bad habits. Oh, I mean, I'm so, I'm just fussy. I mean, I, I'm no fun to live with. Seriously. Eric's a, Eric's a, a saint for doing it. But yeah, I don't like that second bed.
3: Do you like it, breakfast? Like, do you like breakfast food or room service? Like, are you a fan of that? Or are you a fan of you got to yeah. get out of your room and get the day started?
2: I, I kind of like one of the things I like about those Kimpton hotels, is I do like to kind of go downstairs and get my coffee. Don't get me wrong. Like, I like to have the pod in the room, but I do like to sort of, you know, kind of get going. Uh, the other thing is, is in the last year, Tom, since February, I've been intermittent fasting. So I don't really start eating. Until about noon every day, which is cut out something I do love, which is breakfast. Um, so my body can stay in ketosis for 16 hours and it's working, by the way. Intermittent fasting works, Tom. Works like a charm. Mm. So I have sort of divested myself of breakfast. So
3: because- this episode just totally is antithetical to everything you believe in. Breakfast in bed. First of all, the food being in bed just right. – just, uh, it antagonizes everything in your every bone in your body then the idea the concept of breakfast while you well, no, love I it love- you're not you're not subscribing to that breakfast anymore
2: well no i, I just need to start eating dinner at four <laughs> and then i could just have breakfast at eight you know like that would be, <laughs> that's really what i have to do is just you know sort of have just eat dinner like a 91 year old person who lives in fort walton beach florida and just kind of have dinner at five thirty. Up at the table at six fifteen. Now I can have breakfast at ten fifteen. It's fantastic.
3: Wait, breakfast at ten fifteen p.m. No a.m.
2: Oh, okay, AM. I was like, you got like sixteen hours. So if you finish dinner at eight thirty, you can't eat till twelve thirty the next afternoon. Oh,
3: okay, okay, 12, I got sixteen it.
2: hours. Um, There's so, a sixteen yeah. hour rule. Okay, sixteen hour rule, and I'm telling you, it works. I've lost much weight in quarantine. Okay. I am, I'm, it, it is. Didn't Oprah have a diet like that? Like don't eat after eight o'clock or something like that. Yeah. She's a big don't eat late person, which I think is a generally good rule. Um, it, whether it's in conjunction with the sort of the ketosis thing or not, but yeah, like I just think like, like those post game meals we all have uh, when we're, we're working a yeah. series or doing the games. Like, I mean, there's a reason people in the press room look like people in the press room and it's just like, yeah, I, I it, it's bad for you. It's just bad for you. So,
3: uh, quick fire is breakfast in bed, obviously. And what did you think about that quick fire challenge? It seemed, it seemed like pretty fitting for Vegas.
2: Yeah, no, no. I think it's a good challenge. Uh, I mean, breakfast, in I mean, really what it is, is breakfast. I mean, I, is there any, or here's the question. Is there any variable introduced in the decision-making of these chefs? Like, well, that would be a good breakfast, but not a good breakfast in bed. Yes. So like not to make a mess. What, what did you see there?
3: No, it's the temperature. It's something that it would be able to stay for that in that that trek up to the room, the room service. You put it in a in a platter, put it put the top on it. And if it's something that needs to be steaming hot and I'm surprised Kevin was able to pull this off because what Robin said was that you had to go two elevators, walk across here, go across that jetway, all this and then that and then this and then finally you arrive at the destination and uh uh-oh, everything might have just gone cold. So I think the idea of breakfast, yes, fundamentally it's a breakfast challenge but also I worried for those who had something that was piping hot or supposed to be eaten piping hot because of that travel. Now – Apparently, uh, maybe they had some, you know, heat lamps or something to keep that warm because it didn't seem to be a problem for Kevin. But yeah, I think that was, for me, the big issue is, uh, you know, having to put that, that, uh, I don't know what you call it. The little
2: top, the little, uh, the yeah, little,
3: little silver thing. I don't know what it's called. Either. Yeah. Yeah. A little top and make sure that your, your, your dish doesn't just go stale or rotten.
2: Um, by the way, uh, Miguel Lawson, very fun. Very, very fun. By the way, true story at the time was married to Charles Saatchi. um, Really? Who, obviously founder of Saatchi and Saatchi, nice Sephardic Jew. Uh, They have one of the best art collections, uh, contemporary art collections in the world. Uh, So she was married to Saatchi for 10 years, right? From 03 to 13. Did not know this. She was charming. I have to say, they need to bring more Brits back on the show. It's been a while, but between her and Toby Young, whose mm. mind thinks like a New York Post, like headline writer, uh, yes. and I love that. Um, <laughs> like, like I just like I I, I loved her. I, I'm really listen it this way. I think they do good job on the guests now. I don't think they've done great job. They've done a great job with the guests in perpetuity. Like they've always done great with the guest judges. From from the Bourdain days, may he rest in peace. This Toby Young, um, I mean, Gail obviously a fixture, but not I anymore. Just,
3: Kevin, have you noticed? Gail has I mean, been absent except for last episode. She was gone for a while, and she was she on this episode? Might, well, no, but my
2: point is, is like it, it, over the course of the entire show, yes, yes. like the entire series, right? Seventeen yes, years. Yes. Um, so they've always done a great job, and this is just yet another example of just somebody I, I absolutely loved in that capacity. You know what's funny,
3: Kevin? A lot of people when they hear that I'm a big Top Chef fan, they always mention the Great British Baking Show. Have yeah, you, my, me too. You and I've never lot? seen
2: this. I, I'm not a baker. I'm not a baker.
3: But I guess the show, if there's a, a Venn diagram or an algorithm of Top Chef fans, apparently this is like the thing, the gateway um, from Top Chef into the Great British Bake Off. I think actually Brian Winhurst. Brian, I was about to say, you know who was the last person to tell me about this is Brian Winhorst. Yeah. And so I think um, if you're really tickled by British judges or just the British, uh, you know, food show, maybe maybe that's something we need to think about is is just dabbling in the great British bake off. Maybe she's maybe she's on that show. Maybe maybe Toby is on that show too. I don't know. I, I've not ne- know i have i have never watched a second of that show, but I'm with you. I loved um her on this episode. Um, I thought she she had some terminology that I actually never heard of before, but um she she was great at describing very succinctly these dishes and. Um, I actually liked when she was just like afraid to eat something and she was right. She was spot on on a lot of these intuitions and so uh, I thought she was delightful. Um, So Eli comes up with Robin first and Robin delivers what's
2: called a blintz. Never heard of that before. What's a blintz? Oh, blintz. So a blintz is basically – Is it an omelet? No, no. It's a crepe. It's like a rolled crepe and inside – so, so, all right. So there are two kinds of blintzes. They're savory blintzes and, and, and sweet blintzes. So in my household growing up, the first night of Rosh Hashanah, my mom cooked for like 50 family members and like always made meat blintzes. So imagine like a crepe kind of rolled up. Um, so it almost looks mm-hmm. like a mini burrito. So in terms of like a, roti, it looks like a roti or a mini yep. burrito. It's kind of smaller. Uh, and there's, like, sort of ground beef with onion and, and and just that. That was sort of a meat blintz. And that was my mom's signature, signature meal. First night of Rosh Hashanah for, like, fucking 40 years. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, most blintzes you find on, kind of like, a, at a Sunday brunch, they have kind of sweet sour cream filling with, like, fruit. Mm. Okay. And that was very much in the spirit of what Robin was doing. Now, Robin's blintz looks a little different than my mom's blintz. But— it is. It's sort of a, a, a sour cream, fruit filled, rolled crepe, if you will. So that that's what she did and she didn't do it well, which is no surprise.
3: Yeah. I, I didn't hear. Do you like blintzes?
2: Yeah. I mean, what's not to like?
3: What's not to like? I don't it's know, but the, the sour cream feeling doesn't really jump off the page for me.
2: Yeah, but sour cream has a different place in the Jewish culinary tradition. OK. Like you'd use it just for like, like on fucking nachos. Like yeah. We use it on everything, like like cured fish and with fruit and latkes. Like sour cream, is the sour cream <laughs> of, of, of of Jewish culinary tradition. Like it's just uh, it's a it's a it's a major major um, piece of connective tissue for Jewish cooking. Well, it's they didn't in the, in the dairy variety. Yeah,
3: they would have much rather have your mother's blitz because this this didn't didn't do very well for them. Um, Reuben, the Reuben that. Eli, I would eat that in a hot. I mean, oh, I love that yeah. stuff, man. A uh, Reuben Benedict. Who doesn't want a Reuben Benedict? Oh, it was just great. And it, it, you know what, Eli, this was this was Eli's quick fire, yeah. right? Like just the whole concept. I'm gonna be, you know, almost hangover food. It was it was brilliant. And then Michael Voltaggio. Yeah, uh,
2: Volta- so yep. can we talk for a second about um a, a, another con- food confessions, which I feel like this entire season has just been my food confessions. I love Thousand Island holidays as a concept because Tom, I love processed Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I like to do sometimes, like okay. do whenever, like if oh, we're no. road tripping or I, I, it's very rare that I find myself in these spots just cause you know, I live in Los Angeles now and you know, I usually go to big cities for travel. I'm not like kind of, I'm not kind of in places where there's like the salad bar. Like when I was growing up with like the salad bar at Shoney's, I don't know if you guys had that. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. All right, all right. So like, when I go like a, like a pizza parlor where it's like, oh, and you get the free salad bar situation, I love Thousand Island dressing. And like there are times where if I'm ever in a situation where it's just like very basic salad bar, I'm going to top my iceberg lettuce and those little kind of mass like cherry tomatoes and those carrot shavings, you know, like the very basic of the basic side. Salad bars, and I'm gonna put about three gallons <laughs> of Thousand <laughs> Island soup dessert. with some uh, leaflets. Right, of because lettuce. At, at the end of the day, if whenever possible, I want my salad to taste like a burger.
3: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, you know, what Thousand Island dressing also is it is it synonymous with uh, Russian dressing?
2: It basically is. I feel like Russian dressing is a little thinner and goopier. Is Thousand Island dressing, and okay. it's got the little um, the little pickle thing going on there, you know, the little, little texture pickle thing. In high school,
3: um, in high school, senior year, we would, you know, sneak off of campus and I don't know if my mom's listening to this, but, um, I doubt she is, but sorry, mom, we used to sneak off to off campus and go to the deli and we would smoke a joint before going to the deli and we would eat a Philly cheese. We would order from the Khaleesi's (laughs) deli, um, a, Philly cheesesteak with Russian dressing. And it was unfucking believably good. I loved it. It was like every Friday. Um, it was just something to look forward to. And I guess this is second semester senior year, so I, I didn't really care about high school any at that point anymore. And um it was it was amazing. And the 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 Thousand Island Russian dressing aspect of it just made it a hundred times better. It like when I would get chili cheesesteak later on, I would always like ask, do you have any Russian dressing here by chance? So I'm I'm with you on the Russian dressing, uh, Thousand Island. My thing is though, like if you get an iceberg wedge and you order a wedge, are you going for the blue cheese or are you going with the Thousand Island? I mean, I'm
2: pretty much Thousand Island. Okay. You're team Thousand Island. I mean, I love blue cheese dressing and I love blue cheese in general. Um, What I'd like is blue cheese crumble with Thousand Island. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's that's how you that's how you you service both needs uh yeah so this was good i mean kevin does his steak and eggs what's not to like aged cheddar and green onion with a very soft scrambled egg by the way in in keeping with food confessions i want my scrambled eggs as wet and sloppy yes. and soupy as possible i yes. there's nothing worse than a hard scrambled egg
3: uh, yeah. And like every time, every time the thing about scrambled eggs is like you always have to take it off about a minute or two earlier than you think because it kind of congeals after like you have to either yeah, keep cooking, keeps cooking. So anytime that Allison's making uh, scrambled eggs or anyone's making scrambled eggs, I'm in the room. I always just be like, oh, that looks good. And they're like, it hasn't even solidified yet. And I'm like, just wait. If you 30 seconds later, it's going to be overdone. And I don't want any part of that. So I'm with you. I want to I want to. I want a little bit of that, uh, almost like a soup underneath.
2: When I well, see it, it, it almost tastes like it looks like it kind of feels like cheesy eggs, even though it isn't. That's
3: kind yeah, of yeah. And we already talked about how you're 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 three parts yolk and one part white on these things. Um, yeah, and it makes it a hundred times better. So, right. yeah, I'm I'm with the the whole egg thing. Kevin did the steak and eggs. Uh, Michael Voltaggio did huevos cubano, um, and. You know, Jen shitting on shitting on a shingle. SOS beef. Yeah, all right. She walks into that, or does she know that uh, Nigella is, is the is the host or the judge before she walks in there? Do they know uh, that? I don't think so. Okay, because when she walks in there, I'm kind of like, don't do the shit on a shingle thing. Don't just just say your dish. And maybe, maybe, uh, you know, they won't put two and two together, but the idea of like, here's a shit on a shingle, uh, this is top chef and maybe they laugh it off. But I just, I didn't want to have that imagery of a, a feces on a, on a, on a piece of wood. Like, that's my thing is like, even though it tastes really good, I just don't think you need the imagery. Am I, am I being too, too much of a pansy here?
2: No, no, no. I mean, I I hear what you're saying. The imagery is not great, um, (laughs) clearly, but I'm just charmed with cream-chopped beef because it is such like – and I love that she did it. Yes. Given her classical training, and it it is kind of another guilty pleasure. I mean, basically, it is cream of beef. Like, what's better than cream of beef if you're – again, as hangover food goes – um, it, it is fun because I am a savory over sweet breakfast person. I, I just am, always will be, though I don't eat breakfast now. Speaking of which, that's how Brian got in trouble. Brian Beltaggio does a beautiful four-minute egg, corn polenta, asparagus, and crab. Great combo, except does a, does a vanilla beer fondue, and the vanilla just kind of catches everybody off guard. Just is a little bit dissonant for the dish. Is there anything more... Predictable than Brian
3: Voltaggio doing a slow cooked egg or or a slow roasted, you know, doing the king crab. He does it later in the episode where he's just got He's just got a very um, he knows what he's doing and doesn't get the (laughs) doesn't get the quick fire once again. Um, And, you know, I I think when Brian Voltaggio uh, is in the bottom of a quick fire with Robin, that that has to get in his head. I mean, he's so much better than that.
0: Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher-turned-podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust, delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging, and
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I look, I think he's already priced in the fact that he's not going to fare well in quick fires, and it does not really hinder his confidence, and I kind of like that about Brian. Like, he just knows, is just he's not, they do not like him for quick fire. It is not his skill set. It is not going to be any indictment on him. He's just not going to win. He will often finish on the bottom, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think a lesser contestant would let it get inside their head. And remember, like, when Randy Johnson would come to bat Early in his career, and he wouldn't even like kind of really. Oh no, it wasn't Randy Johnson. Who was it? I'm, I'm getting mixed up. Uh, it might have been him, right? I yeah, kind of feel like they, he just they, put the bat on his shoulder and just stood there, right? But I, I feel like later in his career, he actually enjoyed hitting. But like, just certain pitchers, they go up National League, they're just gonna not even really like. Don't to, get it, me started. They're ah. gonna be embarrassed, and it's going to be, you know, and, and and they're just gonna go back to the dugout, come back out, and pitch their game. And that's kind of who Peltaggio is. And you know what, Kevin? This is why pitchers shouldn't be hitters. Anyway, next yeah we can d- debate that some other time I, I kind of intellectually agree with you but I, I do like the strategy that is demanded but I'm, I'm, I've i come a long way on that issue after being a national league it's because you're per- provincial like
3: that's all it is. You're just
2: provincial who are you, you talking you, to
3: you're, you grew up watching a national league team and so therefore you're only going to see things that way
2: yeah why is it that American league fans are worldly and nationally you just grew up watching American league <laughs> freaking baseball <laughs> we you can't know. do this
3: now because this is going to be a, right. an hour, hour long show all
2: right just um, on that so anyway, uh, yeah, so that's that, that, that. Eli wins. Good for Eli. Uh, he had the right dish at the right time for the right challenge. Uh, I'd I like seeing him get it, pick up a W. Good for him. Yes. And then we go into kind of an asinine premise for a uh, uh, an, an elimination challenge, which is be inspired by a casino hotel. <laughs> like, the only thing I'm ever inspired by a casino hotel like that is to, like, drive back to Los Angeles and just, <laughs> I don't know, go home and go get inside my little Zen cave and and be done with it.
3: I have a theory here, Kevin, is what? that they couldn't send Eli home because they gave him circus circus.
2: I mean, he could have probably done more with that with less.
3: There wasn't even a restaurant. There wasn't a- No, con- no, but I, I think, look, isn't the, there was isn't
2: The, the just, shit uh, is, is these are goofy, kitschy. Like Vegas is nothing but pure American kitsch, right? I mean, that's all it is. It is just- it is American kitsch. Like the idea that there's a medieval themed hotel for grownups is hilarious, right? <laughs> like the idea that they try to recreate the early Renaissance, you know, is hilarious. The the idea that they try to recreate Manhattan in the desert 2,500 miles to the southwest, like all of it. Mirage is kitsch. Mandalay Bay is kitsch. Circus Circus is absolutely kitsch. And the idea is, hey, just kind of take an element from here and do it. Right. And what, like, what is that element? What is
3: what is going to the circus make you want to eat an amazing dish? Like none of that. So they send a, them to Circus Circus and I get that he's complaining about it and he's da da da, da. But if you're going to draft – OK, let's do it. Draft the six six inspiration okay. hotels, OK? There's Easy. Mandalay Bay, Mirage, New York, New York, Bellagio Excalibur and uh, Circus Circus. Number one pick, Kevin Go. It could be –
2: it, probably Mandalay Bay because basically you just do seafood and you're in and out, right? Like it doesn't even matter what seafood you do. Get it? It's Mandalay Bay. It's the ocean. Seafood. And you can do whatever fucking seafood you want. Like it is the easiest spot on the board. Okay. Number what do you got? What do you got?
3: Uh, number two, I would take Mandalay Bay as well. Number two, I'm taking Bellagio because you walk into that and you see the color. You can go a billion different ways with just seeing a whole bunch of color and flowers. I feel like that as a as a, bake, a base to your dish, you can go a billion different ways. So I would go with the, uh, the Bellagio number two. Right. I mean,
2: I probably go number three with New York, New York, because mm. basically you can do whatever the hell you want, right? Like, New York, New York is basically anything American. You know, you get the Italian thing in New York. You can do Jew food if that's the way you want to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. New York,
2: right? Like you can do whatever the hell. Rat
3: pizza. Yeah. Like you can do that too. Yeah. Yeah, um, you can do whatever. New York, New York. That's but good. I will take that. Yeah.
2: Um, I would go probably Mirage, number four. But um, what is the Mirage? You know, it's funny. Kevin did the Mirage and like, okay, what was the thing? He didn't, they didn't do anything. You know what it was? They, I think what happened here
3: is they didn't do anything interesting at the Mirage and they just asked Kevin to talk about what his philosophy is in cooking. Cause that's all he talked about. He was like, you know, I'm all about like, you know, I don't do any foo-foo, like, you know, super complex things. I just keep things very uh, simple and inspired and like all this stuff. And I was like, all right, so what about the Mirage? Like what, what
2: is the Mirage? I mean, what is, what, I mean, it's an oasis. So basically, what do you do? I cook with camel milk and dates, right? Like, I mean, that's what the. It's a desert. Yeah, yeah. Here's, I, here's an empty plate. That's I don't know. Garage, maybe, right?
3: you, maybe. I mean, you, maybe you do some crumble that kind of resembles sand, and then maybe a sand, little exactly. Like, broth you get a little montageo. You
2: could do one of those, like you know, it doesn't doesn't Brian Montaggio do sand? Like a coffee sand? Yeah. Hasn't he done that on dust like or
3: whatever you do? Yeah, you know, like you that's that's it. fine. Um, but the but question like, is. Question is, Kevin, do you go Exc- Excalibur or Circus Circus with your last I pack?
2: mean, I think you go Excalibur for this reason. You just get a massive freaking chicken leg or a massive hunk of meat. Now, the problem she had is it's for 175 And that's so, so if it were just say, hey, I'm going to do a dish for the judges, you go get some tomahawk pork chops, right? And it's just like anything that's just like, do like, right. you know, Flintstone sitting there style. with the. Yeah, yeah just. You know, it's medieval feast, and there's a king sitting there with his big fucking turkey leg, right? Like that's the thing. I mean, the problem is, of course, that you have 175 people, which is what she ran into, and then I guess circus, circus. But let, let me let me say this about circus, circus. All you have to do is just have a colorful plate, and it would have sufficed, right? Like like I think the judges totally buy in if it's just like these bright colors, kind of, and you can do a little Jackson Pollock on the plate, right? Like just 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 very bold almost gratuitous color and maybe there's a peanut like sauce with a satay or something like here's what i would do
3: yeah you know go with the peanut
2: I, yeah go go with a satay with a peanut sauce right and i don't know the satay can have what other give it one other little circusy element um
3: well, popcorn or some some yeah maybe some crunch
2: with popcorn yeah whatever think. it is i mean I, I think you if he had done a satay with peanuts he's in the clear
3: doesn't really do him any favors that he served that in a cup. So he, what he made was a caramel apple and peanut soup with uh, with raspberry froth or something like that, um, and he served it in a little cup. And it just it it didn't look appetizing. Um, I I. Oof. Where do you even begin um, with the commentary? Uh, I'll, I mean, I'll save that for later because once, once we get to the judges' table, I, I, I get I have something I need to say. And then – all right. So he gets that. Circus, circus. Last pick on the board for us as a hotel. I feel for him um, that he didn't have any much much to go with here. And I know everyone ragged on him because, oh, you're so dramatic. But I get it. I get it. Eli had the worst pick the, of, of all of them coming off a quick fire and he gets the, 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 the short end of the stick. So whatever. Um, Robin decides to do once again something she's never done before because her brain is moving a million dire- different directions and she has no vision. She doesn't know who she is as a chef, and she decides to do something that she has no fucking idea how to execute. So perfect, you've made it this far in the competition, and you still haven't learned any of your lessons. So she does the 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 uh, the sugar uh, brittle type thing that it resembles the. Uh, the sculpture, the flowers. Um, and, you know, I, I, the Chihuly sculpture, I get it. That would be an inspiration. But don't do something you've never done before, especially this stage in the game, Kevin.
2: Well, I mean, at the end of the day, if she could just make a freaking panna cotta, she'd be fine. You're right. I mean, I mean that's the thing. It, it's like, I was shocked that she got sent home given the disaster that was Eli's dish. But I think when you start digging in, it's like at the end of the day the chef these are these are professional chefs sitting around saying we're 6 weeks out of crowning a champion or 6 episodes out of crowning a champion and this woman can't make a panna cotta. Right? Like like I think that was sort of what I gathered, you know, from it. I don't want to jump ahead cuz I know we'll have a conversation about the elimination table.
3: No, let's just do it here, Kevin. Okay. Let's just do it here. What like- the fuck? They killed Eli every I'd rather eat sardust personally wouldn't want to eat that again. Texturally completely failed again, again and again and again. Just absolutely eviscerated Eli. And then they send Robin home. If there's ever an example, Kevin, of this dish wasn't judged on its own merits. There was a memory here that there is actually uh, the future you know, we're whittling it down to only five contestants. Do we really want Robin here? I think this was, of any any elimination I've ever seen on Top Chef, I thought this one was emblematic of there was other stuff
2: being considered other than the dish in front of them. Agree or disagree? I, I, I agree with you 100%. This was the judges clearly saying, Robin, you have excelled at being slightly less incompetent than a chef who's having a really bad day. And we're not going to stand for it anymore. Because once again, what happened this week, she was slightly less incompetent than a chef having his worst day, which has been her formula for survival in all of these sort of non-team challenge which is on the elimination level. And as you said, it's just there's a certain point where outrunning the other guy instead of outrunning the bear becomes patently offensive to those who put time into hosting and producing this show. And as you said, they were going to leave one heartbeat away from a finale, a contestant who by and large cannot f- execute some of the basics of professional cooking. And I think that's what happened because I'm with you. This was, I mean, have they ever really said they're never informed by the past? Yes, I feel like. I feel like that's
3: one of Tom's great, you know, ethos. It's just like we we judge what's in front of us, and we have a clear memory. We don't walk in, and and I think there are there is some uh, something to the effect of you know subliminal you know uh, biases that like if if Robin's gonna give you a dish and then Michael Voltaggio gives you the same dish, you're probably gonna side with Michael Voltaggio based on you know the Bayesian like theorem of. Chances are this is actually going to be a really good dish because it's Michael, right? Robin, I just – I think that the judges just got to a point where they realized she is so much uh, below the rest of the competition here. We need to get rid of her. And you know what? Maybe in the idea of like we need to crown the best chef here, um, that's that makes some sense. That, that rationale, I, I get it. But in terms of, I'm only judging the dish that they served us today, Robin in no way served a worse dish
0: No, than no she didn't,
2: but she couldn't execute what Tom, when I tell you, like making panna cotta is basically making jello pudding, like from the little pouch. I mean, it, it is, it is really easy. Now, I'm not going to say if you don't know the cooking and, you know, and, and the conditions and the, and the. And the stovetop and the lot of people. I understand there's some limitations, but I probably I think there's a good chance your friend Kevin had a had a puncher's chance in beating Robin in a panna cotta cook off for <laughs> 175 people. Like it's just yeah. not that hard. And I'm not I'm not a dessert guy, but I what I know about panna cotta is is that it is a there's a reason you see it a lot on these shows. Because it requires very few ingredients, very little prep. It just – you don't have to do a lot of anything other than put cream and sugar in a freaking little – those little thingies. I mean like like it just doesn't require all that
3: much. No, no. And she couldn't execute. And once again, she tried to do something she's never done before and Tom made the point. So you did something you've never done before. But you know what?
2: No, and- no. Let me, let me just say this about that. Yes and, Tom. Like maybe how about this you're a professional chef how about actually nail something you've never done before like like if if your entire criteria going into an elimination challenge is okay i can only do things i've done before then what are you doing on the show i mean i mean that's sort of the thing like i know they i mean look if you're a game theorist and you're her coach and you're like mickey in the corner of the boxing ring like you know d- advising her yeah maybe for your survival don't do anything you've done before but like She does it every time, Kevin. But but God forbid you actually be able to have the instincts as a chef to pull off something you've never done before. Like every week, these chefs go out there and do things they haven't done before. This is Andrew
3: Bynum shooting threes at practice. Every day at practice. It's It's not that she can't improvise and do her own thing every once in a while. It's that she... She mindlessly just dizzyingly does something that she does has never done before every single time. And she's gotten by. And I'm just saying, like, I trust Andrea Godalin, and LeBron James and Luka Doncic to improvise every once in a while and do something that is kind of outside of their comfort. zone. that's fine. But still give me the drives to the basket because that's what you do. She doesn't drive to the basket. She's never doing the thing that she's good at. And I don't know. But maybe, wait, maybe, what,
2: what is she good at? <laughs> no, I'm not trying to rub. be snide. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. what is she good at? I mean, what is she, you know, it's, it's this, oh, I do home cooking or I do kind of just comfort cooking, but I haven't seen a lot of comfort food.
3: Mm.
2: Like I haven't seen, you know, like take Kevin's thing, right? Which is he does that big vegetarian sort of yummy kale mushroomy thing. Like that's comfort food. Like. Like to me, Kevin does comfort food. That's not. I don't want to. I don't want to denigrate it. I mean, because that some chefs might take offense to comfort food being this sort of, you know, distinction from you know, sort of professional food, like uh, or that it can be done without sufficient training or anything. But like, I don't like. She doesn't really do anything. But my, my my point is, is that you know, at a certain point, the flourishes on the show by these chefs are often things they haven't done before that they nail, like. I don't know. I, I'm a I'm a lousy. I'm just a regular old home cook, right? I'm doing some nice things. I'm proud of myself. And you know what? Once a week, I do something I've never done before, and I get it right. Like that's what's called growing up as a chef, right? Like each week, you do something new you've never done before, and you get it right. Um, some weeks, you do something never before, and you screw it up, and then the next week, you do it right. But like she's never done anything she's never done before and done it right. Like mm. the idea that you should limit yourself to only things you've done means you probably don't belong on the show. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm getting a little.
3: Well, yes. Now let's spend a little before we go into where 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 are they now. Um, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the winners. So Kevin, Michael Voltaggio, Brian Voltaggio getting the top three. Michael wins with the chicken wings, and I was stunned by that because um, I thought chicken wings was a little bit mm, like ke- you have my complaints. Michael Voltaggio doing chicken wings. And like I didn't even think that um, Toby Young actually liked it, like the the blue cheese disc or whatever. My thing was, um, it looked good. It looked, it tasted good. But it, were the
2: other two dishes really that poor? That that Michael won with chicken wings. All right, so I have a couple comments. One is the chicken wing is from Buffalo, New York, not N.Y. N.Y. Buffalo is much closer to Cleveland. Okay. Hell, it's closer okay. to Pittsburgh.
3: Okay, um, Statue of Liberty to, is actually
2: not in New York either. Well, I mean, that's Staten Island. My God. You know, like, but, but, but the thing is, is that, yeah, it's Buffalo is a different place. Uh, so I'm not, I don't want to be the well actually guy, but yeah. it's just well yeah. actually. Okay. Like, like okay. it is not, it is decidedly not a New York City food. There's nothing, I mean, Buffalo is in New York. So I guess, you know, you get that. Uh, I, I think my read was, is that cured salmon's, I mean, I know he did beautiful tomato water. Um, My interpretation was his cured salmon is a little bit of a, Degree of difficulty, easiness, commentary by them. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it just isn't that hard to lightly cure salmon and kind of serve it over a salad of compressed vegetables. The tomato water is nice and clear. Oh, it's a man. Great dish.
3: It sounds great to me.
2: um You know, the escabeche of halibut um furthers my evidence that it is hard to do amazing halibut. <sighs> it is just such a, it's such a lean, flaky fish that is wonderful for a light eat. Um, You know, the pine nuts and garlic chips, like clearly a good dish. But I don't know if you confit some boneless wings and and you do it with a nice curry and pepper sauce, like it might just have been tastier than, you know, halibut, which is halibut and, you know, cured salmon, which is cured salmon.
3: I also think, Kevin, I don't know where you stand on this, but I kind of like the bones in my chicken wings. Like if you give me just the meat off of a chicken wing, it kind of takes the fun out of it. Like I, I know, I, I feel like you're you're more of the just give me the lobster meat. Don't give me the fucking no, lobster. no, no,
2: no. Hey, hey, hey! Don't make assumptions about. It. Okay,
0: okay. I uh, am right, a
2: very serious wing eater, Tom. Um, as you know, my partner is from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Latrobe is home to Dino's, and Dino's has been ranked one of the best wings in Western Pennsylvania. Ooh. Western Pennsylvania being kind of Buffalo adjacent. And it is good. And I do. Now, I one of the things I, I will say this. I do prefer that little drumlet wing rather than that one that has the little you kind of got to get your yeah. tongue inside the two little <laughs> like wires. I, I'm not as into that that wing because that gets a little frustrating and then you get your hands all schmutzic and and all that. But like so I do. But I do like the drumlet. I okay. really do. The other one, I'm, I mean, I like there is a satisfaction. Also, I do like to eat the bone like I am somebody who will gnaw on that bone like a dog. Wait, wait, wait. I sound, like, you, you I, know, like I sound like Trump. I sound like Trump. Like like a dog. Like a dog, I gnaw on that bone.
3: Wait, wait, like you, you, you actually like eat the bone or you like to gnaw no, on you, top you know, of the bone?
2: Like, on top of you know, like you get okay, some of good. the bone is soft and edible, Tom. You can kind of eat a little bit of the bone. Yeah. My dad no is a idea. big bone eater. I kinda like eating the bone. I will admit it. I like eating the
0: bone.
3: So I, I just I love eating chicken wings. And so the idea of a boneless chicken wing is just basically in my head is just a chicken nugget. Um, and it offends me a little bit is the idea that you take away the bones, like half of the fun is just being a, a medieval, um, you know, Neanderthal, just eating a, a caveman, eating the chicken wing. So that, that also kind of irked me a little bit. Um, but I guess that's, that's what Michael Voltaggio. So, um, he wins, he gets, or no, sorry. He does win. He gets the bottle of Terlato wine and goes, a a, a prize to Napa, um, to, tour the, the vineyard which sounds lovely um, any other things before we get to uh, where are they now
2: uh, no just that I'm purely purely loving Toby Young um, and his sensibility and he, 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 like, he, he, like many people in Las Vegas he has gambled and lost and lost yes <laughs> it, 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 I had it, that so underlined just, on here yeah he's wonderful and and I know he's kind of a I know he's radioactive right now in, in certain corners of of the opinion world but like I just I want more Toby Young on my top chef I want the I want them to bring him back he is fantastic and I I just I like him being at the judges table there's just there's just a dry ironic wit that you need on cooking shows like don't get me wrong I love Gail Simmons's earnestness like I really do I want that I want the diverse ecosystem of judges I want the earnest I want the ironic. I want the sort of the the ambassador of goodwill, and I want the bitchy. Like I want, yeah. You want the Simon I, Cowell I, I every want,
3: once in a while, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I I just want a full complement of judicial voices, and <laughs> I love Toby Young. Like, he's just hilarious, and uh, he has gambled and lost,
3: and like most people who come to <laughs>
2: Las Vegas, he has gambled
3: yeah, he just- and lost. Um, yeah, I totally, I'm with you. If I could, if I could listen to someone review food. Uh, a local McDonald's, I would, I would, or even the the highest of of fine dining, I would love to listen to T- Toby Young of of maybe all of those judges. Anyway, we've got um, we've got Robin Leventhal, Chef Robin goes home, and I was curious to see uh, uh, where are they now with Robin, and it turns out that she, when this ep, when this season at aired of Top Chef, her restaurant that she had owned and ran, Crave had shut down by the time it aired so there wasn't this like honeymoon phase that a lot of top chefs get to win, get to feel is you know get that glow the afterglow of of top chef but what she did do which was interesting is she became a the chef instructor at Walla Walla Community College um, which apparently to the Seattle Times is two years running the number one community
2: college in America yeah Walla Walla is out actually um, Sort of in central, it's a very deserty region of Washington State. People don't really think Washington State has this sort of deserty, like kind of central strip with the Tri Cities, Walla Walla. Uh, A lot of um, apple orchards around Walla Walla. But uh, yeah. Good for her. It's also, it's fun to say Walla Walla. Yeah. There's a little like tune in my head Walla Walla,
3: Washington, Kalamazoo, like something like that. What is that? What do you know what that is?
2: I, I am not familiar with the work, no.
3: Oh I think maybe it's a nursery rhyme or something like that that with with Madeline I don't know, but the um but yeah she went she went out there and kind of got in touch with a little bit of her uh rural side or uh, you know outdoor you know it's 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 not the city life of Seattle like she had been with crave so um Robin look Robin was quite the heel on this on this season of Top Chef. Um, kind of less a
2: heel, more of like a piggy in Lord of the Flies. Like, I think of heel as being almost perf- performatively vil- mm, villainous. I like, don't you know, know. She was a little bit performity. Like, I don't
3: um, know. She, she would way,
2: overreact to a lot of I yeah. have to say, like, in one of her last offen- uh, offenses, I'm kind of with Michael Voltaggio. Like, when he comes in yeah. to the kitchen to follow her, like – I am so Michael Voltage like, and I can't even deal with my own mess like I'm thinking I'm imagining like coming into the kitchen to cook and having all that shit just everywhere like I would have been he was nicer than I would have been. I'm really really fastidious and weird about like like in other people's filth like it's kind of weird yeah so like, you, you, you know our friend you know our friend Ethan out in Oakland of course. Do you did you ever ride in his car like during yeah. the Warriors? Yeah. Like you know what I'm talking about? His old car is is Prius yeah. Now. His old car his old, okay. car. his old car.
3: His old car. His old car. And you know Prius- what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, a tornado had hit his car
2: with. You combine it with the dog hair and look, I'm getting a golden retriever, so I'm I'm gonna be contending with my own dog hair issues. But it was just like I. It took all like it took all <laughs> the discipline in the world and like large heartedness, like not to insult him and like say, I'm, you know what? I'll take a cab. Like, where are we going next? Like it just, but that's sort of how cooking after Robin in that kitchen must've felt.
3: Yeah. And then she was in there in the space trying to clean up, which I, you know what? She was, she was trying to clean up. So maybe, you know, give her a couple a uh, pat on the back for that. But she, he, he wanted nothing to do with her. He was just like, get yeah. your, your stuff is everywhere and you're here. So it, it was right. a double whammy. Um, Kevin, um, I don't. Maybe we'll get some answers if we interview one of the chefs on the show. What the deal is with the six-person hostel sleeping arrangements on this episode? I don't really know what was going on, but really, one of the um, the black eyes of the show is that Robin, in one on one hand, didn't. She should have been voted off because of her prior performance. But on this episode, I really thought Eli should have
2: gone home. But he lives another day, and the bear has eaten Robin. Yes, finally. For Tom Havistrow, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives.